This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfully Command in the Department of Temporal Investigation. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I am your co-host, Bill Smith. This is episode number 171. It's such a joy to be with you. Thank you for downloading. Thanks for taking some time out of your week to uh, to spend it with us, because we truly appreciate it. Of course, by us, I do uh, mean my partner in crime and I, my co-host. If we were stranded in Earth's past... I would leave him behind in a heartbeat and I would leave him in the worst neighborhood in town. Um, I, I, that goes without saying. And, um, yeah, I would never come back for him. He would be trapped there for time and all eternity with a horrible Vulcan haircut. All right. Oh, hi, Dan. (laughs) I mean, welcome Dan Davidson. Hey, it's great to be here. I thought we were going to be from a remote pod fleet command duck blind outside a small mining town in Pennsylvania. I didn't write that. I know I didn't. I just threw it out there, but you know, temporal investigation. That'll, you know, that'll teach you to write my. That'll teach you to write my script for me. I'm just trying to help. It's good to be here, though. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Uh, it you're is. Gonna re- you're going to you know, regret that before the end of the show. I got to say, I always look forward to sitting down and recording with you, Bill, because we always have a good time. You always are able to get a few zingers in there, really good, and I. I try to come back and I can't, so I just put all of my effort into farkisms. Uh, really, those take effort. Oh God, it's so hard. What? When does that effort start? I mean, because we're 171 episodes in, and I'm not seeing any. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> well, we'll find out what this week's farkism is later in the show. <laughs> uh, yes, we will. And I must tell you, I wait with bated breath. The other thing I wait for, Dan is for you to tell everybody listening how they can get in touch with us. It is just so easy to get in touch with us, Bill. Uh, just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you'll find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can click on that big, giant blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mood. Oh. Mellifluid stones. <laughs> That's the first time I screwed that up in a while. Using Copper Creek? Speak pipe. <laughs> and hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is uh, Camp Kidder. It's the camp, wow. It's Camp Kittimer. This is all staying in. This is beautiful. <laughs> um, <laughs> bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,300 other friends talking all things Trek. And don't forget, almost every Friday, it's the Friday Commute Celebration with Bill and I doing our weekly lip sync, especially for campers. To join the group, head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part in a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. And uh, as Bill tries to make me screw up on camera, please remember that any comments or messages you'll leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, Bill. Well, that is the clearest you've ever spoken on this podcast before. And I think it's because you weren't even thinking. Uh, that's amazing. That's pretty good because for the first two thirds of that uh, copy, I was pretty bad. <laughs> 
Those are your words, Dan, not mine. That's so that's all right. That's all right. I mean it's not like it's untrue. But... <laughs> <laughs> well Dan, if you can get through it without messing up the theme, it's time for the news from TrekDews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Wow, I just got to start over. Online at treknews.net. What the hell is wrong with you? I'm just so hyped up because I'm not going to screw up Carbon Creek. <laughs> what? You're not going to screw up what? <laughs> that's right yeah yeah that's it people have to listen to the outtake to find out why i'm trying to get them to screw up exactly um so if, <laughs> if you're new to trek geeks um there's an outtake at the end of each episode after the end theme um uh, there's always some some pre-show banter between dan and i that usually has nothing to do with star trek i think it's safe to say um but uh yeah go listen to it because you'll find out why i'm trying to get him to screw up dan up first in news it appears that casting calls for the new Jean-Luc Picard series are ongoing, and there's a new name to add to the crew. Yes, sir, there is, uh, as production of the new Star Trek series is set to begin in just about a month, dude. That's pretty cool. Uh, newcomer Evan Ivagora, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, has been cast as a series regular, joining the previously announced cast members Santiago Cabrera and Michelle Hurd. Now, Evan is relatively new to acting. He's had a small role in the Australian drama Secret City, and he's currently filming a role in the upcoming horror comedy film adaptation of Fantasy Island. Very cool. What? I know. <laughs> so wait, Fantasy yeah. Island is going to be a horror comedy? That's what they say. There was some scary moments back in the day with him, Fantasy Island. Does Tori Spelling need money? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, no, she does. She's story spelling. Um, wow. So yeah, well, this is kind of neat. It, it'll be interesting to see what they do with a relatively new talent. I mean, this guy's—he's Kiwi, so he's from New Zealand. He—he he was raised in Melbourne, I believe, in, in Australia. Um, I'll be interested to see if he plays human or alien. Mm -hmm. I think that's really what I want to know now with some of these new casting things. Who's going to be human and who's not? Because I want to see what kind of depth they add to the post-Nemesis era as far as aliens go, especially since the Romulans aren't really in play anymore. Right. And what's very cool about this is, like I said, he's relatively new. This is actually the first show that he's going to be a series regular. And he's going to be, in, he's going to be standing next to Sir Patrick Stewart. So no pressure. Yeah, how intimidating does that have to be? I know, right? I mean, <laughs> 35 years ago, yeah. I'm sorry, Patrick who? These days? <laughs> he's he's Sir Patrick Stewart, thank you very much. And right. um, he's a legend. Uh, I can, I, I, I cannot imagine what this kid must be thinking. I, I just, oh my God, I would so love to be that kid right now. I'd be in the Star Trek series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think pretty much every Star Trek fan in the world feels that way. True. Um, Dan, up next in news, it looks like the Deep Space Nine documentary has found a distribution partner, and that also may include some theatrical showings. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Shout Studios, which is the young distribution wing of Shout Factory, has acquired the worldwide release rights to What We Left Behind, which of course is the Deep Space Nine documentary that we have been waiting for for a long time. Um, and they have plans to bring this film to fans across, quote, multiple platforms, which will include a th theatrical release, which I think is fantastic. I would love to see this on a big screen. Um, uh, Vice President Michael Ribas uh, said, quote, Deep Space Nine has a passionate fan base, uh, as shown by the successful crowdfunding campaign that brought this movie to life. We're thrilled to share the love of and dedication to the show by bringing what we left behind to a wider audience. So I think that's very cool. They're still working on a lot of um, HD uh aspects of of the documentary so it's it's it still has not been released as a matter of fact uh looking at this article it looks like now they're saying that it's going to be released by year's end so that's that's pretty open um it was supposed to be out already but I, as far as i'm concerned take as long as you want as long as it's done awesome which i'm sure it's going to be i don't mind waiting well, there was another update posted recently, you know, to their social media for the DS9 doc with 
uh, some progress on the HD transfers. And Ira, you know, was in the uh, the HD lab at CBS, you know, <laughs> Television Center, and it um I it's it's taken a while. I get it. I'm kind of glad that they took the time to to add the all HD upgraded shots. Um, I think it's going to look right because I think the standard F just wouldn't look nearly as impressive, quite honestly. I agree. I, I, it's something that I've been looking forward to. You know, we've seen a little bit of of what this HD um, looks like for some scenes in the show. And it just makes me want the whole series to be redone I in know. such a bad way. But I know exactly what you mean. I, yeah. I It's the kind of thing I doubt we'll ever get, unfortunately. But yeah. I can only hope that someday it becomes cheap enough and and a smart enough business decision for them to do. Otherwise, I, uh, honestly, I'd love to see Voyager in high def as well. Quite frankly, yeah. Um, you know, as I as I continue to to, to plug my way through that show to, to complete, actually you know, watching it for the very first time uh, completely, mm-hmm. um, I would love to see some of that in HD. Um, so, anyway, moving on, Dan. For some reason, this is news to some people. I'm not really sure why, <laughs> but uh, it was reported by a couple of the Hollywood trades, and now it's been picked up by more outlets. But Dan, now it's confirmed, not like it wasn't before, but it's confirmed that Anson Mount will not be in season three of Star Trek Discovery. <gasps> Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think this has been known for the most part for a while. I mean, Anson tweeted out a thank you to to everyone at discovery for his wonderful time. He was there when he wrapped up filming, I think back in January. Um, but yes, he will not be in season three. That is confirmed. And uh, his sidekick number one, who we've actually only seen once this season, which is kind of a disappointment so far, uh, Rebecca Romaine will not be back for season three either. So I kind of have a feeling that they'll be back on the enterprise going and doing whatever the enterprise does between um, the events of season two discovery and, uh, the first episode with William Shatner or, or the first episode with Captain Pike that we saw the cage. So yeah, uh, it's, it's, I will say it's sad because Anson Mount, in my opinion, is the runaway star of this season. He's been absolutely fantastic, but yes, folks, he will not be in season three. So sorry. In other news, water is also wet. Yes. Um, well, the cage already happened, so he won't be headed to, that. uh, well, yes. Well, what I mean is if we're watching and bringing, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. So. Um, it's, uh, I guess I'm not shocked that we're not, Rebecca Romaine won't be back, um, mm-hmm. because, uh, we saw her for five minutes, maybe this season <laughs> right. in a couple of scenes. I imagine we'll see her again in the finale when Pike rides off into the sunset mm-hmm. aboard Yield Enterprise. Um, and that'll probably be it. I, the one thing I do hope we see is, is Spock clean shaven haircut in his blue science tunic um i'm willing to bet we're gonna see that i think that'll happen i hope so too and dan finally there's you know um from the wardrobe department over at star trek discovery there's a recent announcement that both you and i and our legs can relate to you know i can't help but think that what we did back in vegas a couple years ago a years ago buddy is the reason why this is happening I'm I'm just gonna say that right now. Um, what what do I refer? What am I referring to? I can see the perplexing look in your eyes, Bill. Um, while costume designer Gersha Phillips recently discussed that the rarely seen and often maligned Scant will be making a comeback in season two of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. When asked about whether they had been thinking about bringing the Scant back, she said, "Quote: We have. They haven't come out yet. They'll be later in the season." I was looking for a particular character to do it on, and we didn't have anybody specific. It'll come up closer to the end, but we did it, and we will try to do it going forward. So stance next season, baby. I love it. It's awesome. I'm excited by it. I think Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. We joked a couple years ago. Um, that we should try to mock up a Discovery scant before Discovery ever premiered. Yeah, and we kind of have it with Commander Nan. Uh, well, no, that's just a, an actual skirt. Oh, it's just a regular skirt. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, but uh, I can't wait to see what this looks like. Uh, I, you know, in order for the scant to, to really work and have an impact, I think it has to be on a male character. Sure, absolutely. Although I would love to see Saru in a scant. <laughs> yeah, we saw him without a shirt on, and that was a little scary. So I don't know. And uh, 
Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, so lastly, and this one isn't on the outline, but we should probably tell people if you have attended or bought things through Creation Entertainment using a credit card, you probably want to check your credit or debit card statements because they have announced a data breach and some people's cards were affected and approximately 65 or 70 people have had fraudulent charges posted to their accounts. So if you have attended Star Trek Las Vegas or uh, bought tickets through the creation website for other shows and other photo ops, uh, you definitely want to check your statements. Um, I have checked mine today and so far I'm in the clear, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to keep checking. And so, um, and if for some reason you have been affected, you should contact your financial institution. And I'm going to add to that because when this started breaking a week or so ago, at first creation said, no, it's, there was no breach, but they have said, yes, there was a breach. I was like, well, I don't have a stored credit card with my account with creation. So maybe I'm okay. That's not the case folks. So if you have used a credit card to purchase things at creation, it is a possibility that you could have your information, um, stolen and used. So check those statements. And we gather this this week. I say this evening, this week, whatever, mm. to uh, to talk about first contact between the Vulcans and humans. And as we teased last week, it's not necessarily what people think it is. Oh, I've got all my Zephyr Cochran references up here in Bozeman, Montana, on screen. Do I need to get rid of that? Yeah, probably. Yes, we, pro- we do. Probably need to look a whole lot closer to uh, the uh, Northeast United States. Absolutely. Uh, for uh, Copper Creek. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, Carbon Creek, the second season episode of Star Trek Enterprise, um, which revealed um, pretty much everything that we knew before about First Contact uh, was essentially a lie. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. This was a really well done episode. You know, when you when you hear about it, when you see the trailer, it's like, what is going on? Yeah. Vulcans show up in Pennsylvania in 1957. What? What's going on? They're not supposed to show up till 2063. So it was kind of interesting, you know, to Paul and and uh, Trip and Captain Archer are having dinner to celebrate to Paul's one year anniversary on the Enterprise, and they want to hear a story from her. So to Paul is so good at telling stories. So she tells the story about her her mother's mother's mother, who was on board this survey ship watching Earth after the launch of Sputnik in 1957. And the story's really good. So we're going to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. You know, I was actually fascinated with this. I don't remember seeing this episode the first time it aired. Me too. Um, it, now, granted, it's only the second episode of season two. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not like it's it's a deep cut. I mean, it's right after this, the, series, uh, the season premiere. So I remember seeing the season premiere... And I remember seeing the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the preview for this episode because the I Love Lucy quote, but I have no recollection of actually having watched this episode in September of 2002 when it mm-hmm. first aired. And my mind is kind of blown like that because I, I, I would have thought that I would have, I would have actually watched it. Yeah, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure I did watch it because if memory serves, I watched the first couple of seasons of Enterprise every week when it aired. But as soon as I sat down to watch it this week uh, to prepare for the podcast, I said to her, I go, do you remember any of this? And she goes, I've never seen this one. And I'm like, I don't remember anything of it either. So, I mean, and it's not as if it's a forgettable episode because it's it's really an enjoyable one, but it just, it didn't make its mark on me, I guess, back in the day. So, Well, the other thing too that Star Trek fans had to contend with with UPN, especially in, in their local markets, was Star Trek being preempted all the time right. for local sports. So in the Boston area on UPN 38, it was often preempted for baseball or hockey mm-hmm. or something else that was going on um, that <laughs> apparently the station thought took precedence, um, which really just blows my mind, man. Nothing I takes mean, precedence over Star Trek. Yeah, so there were times when Enterprise would be on at like two o'clock on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry, um, you know, half the time your your DVR wouldn't catch it um, because you know it wouldn't get labeled right in the channel guide. You know, it might be a listed as an infomercial or something else, and the next thing you know, Star Trek was on. So it already had that going against it, which I think was a real hindrance to Star Trek fans trying to find Enterprise in the first place. Right. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, I remember it was such a big thing when UPN first came out and Voyager was the flagship show and this, that, and the other thing. But it just never seemed to have that that strength of a, of a network. And, yeah, shows like Enterprise eventually suffered uh, over time. I don't remember ever having specific times where I missed an episode because something else was preempted, but I'm sure it happened. I know what happened for me. I mean, there would be times where I would find myself at home or maybe working from home on an evening and I would turn on the TV. I'm like, oh, I think Star Trek's on tonight. And I would turn it on and Star Trek wasn't on. That's Even funny. though my channel guide, it would say Star Trek Enterprise or Enterprise at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, I'd move on to West Wing or something else. Um, and that was actually how I became a fan of the West Wing. <laughs> it was because uh, Enterprise was preempted so many times. Funny story. Yeah, I'm laughing. Wow. <laughs> I don't think that's the way to go I'm, here. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, the Vulcan in me because it's a Vulcan episode, you know, no laughter, no humor. Yeah. Yeah. So the Vulcans are in orbit for like three weeks surveying mm. Earth and they experience impulse manifold problems. Oh, I hate that. And I know it just figures, right? That damn satellite. And then they're forced into an emergency crash landing on Earth. And of all places, Pennsylvania. Now, this adds a really kind of an interesting fish out of water element because here we have Vulcans mm-hmm. who all have the same wonderful haircut. Yeah. And the same ears mm. dropped in the middle of, you know, mid 1950s Pennsylvania with all its societal repression and all of its, um, uh, what's a good word? Antiquatedness. Ooh, wow. I'm sure the Vulcans found it very rustic. Gold star for you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So, and, and so they find themselves in and among the society and they're there for like what, four months? Yeah, they're there for a long time. I, I, I think it is. I think it is that long. I mean, because they say towards the end of the episode how long they've been there before they actually got a response to their distress call. One other thing that the, you pointed out, you know, you have the haircut and you have the ears and you have the eyebrows. They all have like olive complexions too. Yeah. Uh, which I find very fascinating that they took the time on Enterprise to make sure that was the case. When you had Vulcans, of course, being blooded, we all understand that. But they actually had the makeup so that uh, I noticed it very distinctly when um, uh, Mestral was in the car with, uh, oh, what was the girl's name? I forget the girl's name. I'll look it up in a second. I'll find it. Um, but I was like, wow, she's she's looks regular complexion, but he's very copper or, or, or olive tinted. Yeah, and I found that true. I mean, there were some episodes of TOS where Nimoy looks almost... Mm -hmm. olive skinned on some level. So I can appreciate that continuity as far as the makeup went. Yeah. Um, Maggie. Yeah. Maggie. Yeah. No, yeah. Maggie. Definitely. Uh, played by, um, uh, John Cusack, John and Joan Cusack's sister. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, nicely done. There you go. So the captain is killed in the crash landing. Of course he is. Which of course, which leaves Tamir or to Paul's great, 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 Grandmother? Mother, mother's mother's mother. So great great grandmother. Great grandmother. Oh, mother's, thank you. Mother's mother's mother. Thank so great grandmother, yes. I never knew my grandparents, so this always confuses me. Okay. Um, so it leaves and plus uh Jolene Blaylock gets to play Tamir, which I think adds some credibility to the story. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a nice departure for her. We get to see her in a familiar um uh, makeup. But with not a familiar character, which I I found very refreshing, uh, especially this early in Enterprise's run. I did like what they were, what she was able to do with this character. She was very, it's hard to to say it because at the beginning of Enterprise, she is a stoic Vulcan. She is as Vulcan as you can get. She doesn't get emotional until later on, but she's even more so as Tamir in this episode, I think. And I also like the other two that we have in this episode. Uh, Strawn, I believe, is a gentleman's name who took the job as a plumber. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I already mentioned um, uh, Mistral, uh, who was the person who decided to do things a little differently towards the end of the episode. Yeah, we're going to definitely come to that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting that they find, you know, instead of essentially hiding themselves away, they find a way to integrate into this small town in Pennsylvania named Carbon Creek. Because mm-hmm. um, that's a huge risk. You know, as you mentioned, they don't look like everybody there. Nope. They don't act like everybody there. So already, mm-hmm. I mean, they stand out like there's no tomorrow. And in the repressed society of the 1950s, it had to be amplified even more. 
Oh, absolutely. So, so I mean, they've stolen clothes. Somehow they've they've figured out a way to you know to to get some money. They eventually get an apartment, um, and they essentially settle into small town Americana, which I have to believe has got to be the Vulcan definition of hell. <laughs> and you can tell that that at least at least Tamir and and Strawn think that. Uh, Mestral kind of likes what's going on. He's intrigued by humans and he likes studying them. And, and he's obviously got feelings for Maggie as we find out later on in the episode. So yeah, definite Vulcan hell. I got a question about this though, because it all happens. Of course, a lot of, a lot of callback to city on the edge of forever with the stealing of the clothes and wearing the hat Mm -hmm. and the head and the mechanical rice picker and all that good stuff. But they crashed. Yes. Nobody ever found the ship. They, nope. They, they, yeah. never hit, they never hit it. I mean, they show scenes where they're going to the ship and it's right there in the woods, not covered up at all. Nobody goes outside of this mining town. Don't they have to go to the mines? Aren't the mines out in the woods? It's just like, eh. That's one thing that I kind of had a big question mark about. Nobody heard or saw the ship crash. Mm, they're all sleeping. Uh, sure they were. Sleepy mining um, town. Yeah, very sleepy mining town. I uh, That was one of the questions I did have while watching this because I'm like, all right, wait a second. This thing would have made a hellacious noise. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they, they found a way to glide it in. Uh, right. Still, I mean, it, it's a, an object from space re-entering the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I'm sure at some point it was going faster than they really wanted. I'm sure there was a sonic boom or two. Sure. Um, and, and the impact it would have made, I would, I would think it would have been heard for miles. Yeah. Um, even in Pennsylvania. Um, so I, it, it's, it's probably the one real problem I have with this episode is that that just doesn't seem credible to me. That is a small problem to have though. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at, you know, we've, we've done episodes where we've talked about uh, various things and we always have some things that we can focus on that were, you know, was this a good part of the episode or a bad part? This is really the only thing that comes to mind in, in terms of what, the episode, what kind of questions I have or what wasn't done the way I would have liked to have seen it. For some reason, as I was watching this, and like I said, I couldn't remember what it, when I had seen it before, but in my head, I'm like, okay, that kid, Billy, he finds the ship, doesn't he? But he didn't. So I was obviously thinking about a different tangent, but it would have made perfect sense if somebody had found the ship at some point. Right. One of the things that I like about this episode is that in order to get money, the Vulcans do what I would have hoped they would have done, (laughs) and they begin to hustle people at pool. (laughs) You know, the Vulcans have a natural predisposition to to math and science. Of course, that includes geometry, which is really all the game of pool or billiards is. Mm -hmm. And they start to make some cash, which I thought was just a touch of brilliance, and I thought it was executed so well in the script. I was a little worried at first that the the guy who they who he went and played pool with was going to run the table because when he started, I mean, uh, uh, Mestral did the break and it was just a like a it was a pathetic break, and the guy even said, "Oh, tough break," and then he just went click 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 and he's knocking balls in left and right, and then he finally missed, and then it's like, "Oh, now we're going to see what the Vulcans going to do," and he did it, and they walked out of there with a wad of dough. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought that was hilarious. It was. Frankly. It was really good. Um, it's just a really great scene. Um, the thing that surprises me after that is Mistral takes a job in the coal mine. And so we're watching the scene where he's actually in the mine. And I'm thinking to myself, um, well, one, we didn't have the, the safety precautions for workers that we do today in any any aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm sure that digging all that coal is certainly not good for humans. I'm sure it can't be good for Vulcans. Right. I was thinking, wow, this looks like Rurapente. Rurapente <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> da. Yes. Um, no, true. Um, and I, I did like the fact that he was, you know, 1957 Pennsylvania, you can have a lot of problems with people in a small town with strangers coming in and yeah. strangers that look different mm-hmm. and strangers that act different but they are really taken in by everybody in the town. There's no bully in this episode giving them a hard time or not making them feel welcome. They mm-hmm. are able to to really become part of the community. And as we saw in the mining scene or scenes, uh, when there's the accident, he doesn't care about what his superior officer says. 
Mestral's going to go save his coworkers and yeah. dare I say friends. And I thought that was another great scene. And eventually Tamir caves and caves <laughs> and helps uh, and helps him. No, I agree with you. You know, uh, there are many points where this episode could have turned into a lost episode of Quantum Leap. Yes. You know, with the the bonk bonk on the head stuff, whereas Mission Log would say the you see Timmy moment. You know, I, if they had incorporated a bully, I think it would have felt a little more like that. But I was glad that this episode got a chance to breathe on its own because I, I really think they crafted it pretty well. Yeah. Um, you brought up a great point with the, uh, the rescue scene in the mine. You know, it, uh, th- those guys are trapped and they've got to get them out of there. Um, obviously somebody's got questions, but at that point they don't care because they're not going to die trapped in a coal mine. Right. Absolutely. So I, um, Mestral kind of perplexes me, uh, because he's a Vulcan, but yet he's so fascinated with this era of humanity to the point where I think that he becomes really way too obsessed and more so than I would expect a Vulcan to be. And I'm, I'm trying to reconcile that with why. That's a good question. And what you're saying, as you're saying this, I'm like, okay, I, I really totally agree with you. He is obsessed so much so that he lies. Yeah. Vulcans don't lie. He lies about going to get a waveform discriminator from the ship for their TV antenna when he's actually going to a baseball game with Maggie. That really was an interesting moment of this episode for me because we've always been told that Vulcans don't lie. And he, and he it's not like he was exaggerating, as sometimes Spock would use as a phrase instead of lying. He lied. Boom. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that was a very interesting part of his character as well. And Paul catches him dead to rights. Paul. Well, sorry. <laughs> Tamir. Ten bucks. No, I don't think so. Damn. <laughs> well, because it's Jolene, right? Yes, so I, absolutely. Yep. Tamir catches him dead to rights. Yeah, you know, there he's there in the car, and, <laughs> and Maggie notices uh, somebody's watching us, and the camera pans over, and it's like, oh man, <laughs> he's like, I it's trouble. <laughs> uh, it's like, come get your whooping, is what mm-hmm. it looks like. Yep, and she is uh, for somebody with no emotion, um, she is none too pleased. Yeah, she can she can really um, show emotion without doing anything. Does yeah. that make sense? I mean, because she's got that look of, you are in big trouble. You are grounded, mister. <laughs> it's that kind of look. But I mean, there, in that look, there's there's betrayal. Mm-hmm. There's anger. There's... Um, insubordination. Dis- uh, d- yeah, there's insubordination. There's disappointment at the fact that she's discovered that she's been lied to, something that just shouldn't be possible mm-hmm. with a fellow Vulcan. And so much is said with just that one, that one look and her body language in that scene that you know it's a real turning point between those two characters. It, excuse me. Wow, that was such a good such a good comment that I started coughing. <laughs> yes, um, and that's another thing that I liked about this episode. We only see these three characters for one episode, but we're able to connect with them because of all the different things that take place in this 45 minutes. And I think that's that's a tribute to the actors and it's a tribute to the writing for for this very episode of Carbon Creek. <laughs> very well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, agreed. You know, uh, I have to say that I almost felt like Strawn was a bit of a, uh, a third wheel in a sense. Like a throwaway. Uh, yeah, there were times yeah. where I felt like he just wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. I felt like they, uh, they had him in there to maybe break up some of the scenes with Mestral, uh, and maybe Tamir, but um, it probably provides my favorite part of the episode when he wonders why people call him Mo. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And now oh. I can't see some Vulcans <laughs> any other way. He's a stooge. Yeah, that, that was good. They they had a couple of great references in this episode. You already mentioned one of them, and that was he was going to go get a TV antenna because I Love Lucy was on. And great throwback and of course the lady of star trek is lucille ball so i liked how they threw that in there of course you had the three stooges reference as well i like it when they do stuff like that in star trek episodes makes it fun oh i do too and in fact you know i hadn't stopped to consider that you know lucille ball is essentially the godmother of star trek Mm -hmm. um that's kind of weird because they've referenced somebody who was responsible for star trek making it to air yeah um which theoretically doesn't exist 
to the Vulcans or to anybody else on earth at this point, because it's their reality. Mm-hmm. What a weird paradox. Uh-huh. I like stuff like <laughs> make you think, doesn't it? That's pretty cool. I well, like I think we've established that my thinking on any of those levels is, is bound to make my little pea brain hurt. <laughs> I, can it hurt that small? Wow. Sorry. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Thanks. Well, uh, well, Dan, here we are. We're taking time during the show to talk about our very dear friends at Fansets. And it seems like every time we turn around, they have another big announcement regarding their amazing pin products. And this week, man, is absolutely no different. So first, we want to offer our congratulations to our friends at Fansets for their recent announcements that they're going to have brand new lines of pins for the Big Bang Theory. Uh, only the biggest comedy on the planet. Ultraman, the new Netflix series based on the uh, the original series from the 60s. And the the long-running uh, WB, uh, it's still called the WB, right? As far as I know. Uh, yeah. CW, sorry, C- the CW. That's a bunch of letters, that's okay. Yeah, CW series Supernatural, which I think is in its 15th season or something like that. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, it is an insanely popular show. Um but they are, have announced all of those brand new pin lines, which is just fantastic. We know fans of all of those shows are going to be getting the same quality and customer service that we as Star Trek fans have been getting for the past several years from Fansets. Yeah, it, they're fantastic. Their list of pins and their list of pin products just keeps growing and growing. And we're very excited to see that uh, in April of 2019, there, as, nor- as is the norm for fansets, there's going to be two new Star Trek pins coming out, the first of which will be our favorite Denoblian from this here TV series Enterprise that we're talking about tonight. Our favorite what? Denoblian. <laughs> Did I say that wrong? Yeah, totally. Wow. Denobulin. Denobulin? Deno- ah, whatever. Dr. Denob- Fox. <laughs> That's, uh, math is hard. So Dr. Fox will be will be available. And the one that I'm very excited about uh, on the 15th of April, Deep Space Nine's chief engineer, Miles Edward O'Brien. Very excited about that. As always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you'd like to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, even if you order non-Star Trek stuff, because there's a lot of stuff at Fansets, simply enter the word Arium at checkout. That's A-I-R-I-A-M, all capitals, no spaces. If you want to know what that's all about, you're going to have to go listen to Discovering Trek, folks. This code is going to be available until midnight on Sunday, March 24th, 2019 at midnight Eastern time. So don't delay. Denobulin. 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 (laughs) Fansets. We are Star Trek and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. So uh, now that we've finished embarrassing you during the Fansets copy. Jerk. um, (laughs) Help me, Spook. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) Dabger Spook. Just shut up. That's your new Dungeons and Dragons character name. I love that. Oh, God. <laughs> we, we do have fun. We really have way too much fun doing this. So back to uh, Carbon Creek, uh, not the Disney place. Um, <laughs> I am. I guess I'm a little fascinated that Mestral is interested in baseball. Because we only oh. know one other Vulcan uh, who is really interested in baseball, and it makes me wonder if they're related. To I them. was just going to say that. Wow, we're thinking on the same wavelength, man. Uh, yeah, I was going to actually say maybe he's related to the guy from Take Me Out to the Hall Suite. We don't know. But why, why wouldn't you be fascinated with baseball if you're a Vulcan? If you, if, if you, if you really think about it, when you're talking about geometry and angles and, and this kind of – baseball is a game of math when you really think about it especially when you're looking at averages and, and all this kind of stuff. So I I think it's great that he was interested in baseball. Who am I kidding? He was just there because he wanted to get with Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, uh, I suppose. Well, I mean, baseball is no Calto. Let's just get that right out of that, front. Well, that's true, yes. Um, that, that's a game of true logic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, well, if, if he's interested in I Love Lucy, I, I, it makes me wonder if he watched Ed Sullivan. It makes me wonder what else he watched. Really? Um, uh, so many questions. Just, so it, ma- just go the ahead. fact that they had a TV in 1957, this small mining town in Pennsylvania, they were really raking in the bucks. Yeah, that's a really great point. I hadn't stopped to consider that because TV certainly weren't the norm in 1957. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they were hustling more in the pool hall to, to buy the TV. I'm actually amazed that they bought a TV at all. Because they're Vulcan. 
Well, I kind of do understand the the reason why they may have. They are there to observe, and what better way to observe without you know shining a spotlight on yourself than by using television to see how humans act and interact and what they do for entertainment and stuff like that. So I can kind of see that. Um, my, maybe it wasn't their first choice, uh, but I'm going with that. I like it. You would think they would have observed more from just the the regular social interactions in the town. Um, I, I guess it's really the the only other thing that makes me scratch my head because I have a hard time seeing Vulcan sitting down uh, to watch I Love Lucy. I just I, it's, I try to picture it in my head and it's well, it's a it's a mental picture I'm having a hard time constructing. Here's my counter argument to that. Yeah, would you would could you could you picture Vulcan sitting down to watch I Love Lucy or sitting down at a bar? And watching people at a bar and and trying to interact with them in a way that they're comfortable. I could see them trying to interact with people. Really? Uh, yeah, I could. Okay. Because that, if you're going to experience the culture, the best way to do it logically is to immerse yourself in it. But don't you think that they also should be trying to not be as involved in the society because they are aliens and they don't want to be discovered? That's a great point. I think at this point, they're assuming that they're stuck there. True. Um, and they have no idea for how long. And I think that's really the only reason why they tr- they decided to integrate themselves into the town. Yeah. I mean, when they get the, the, the rescue signal uh, mm-hmm. you know, or the, the communication later in the episode, they're all genuinely surprised. Yes. Well, it's been three months. As we talked about, it's, they were there for about four months. So yeah, it took three months for them to get a signal. And they only get the signal because I think they said a Tellarite freighter had picked it up or something like that. So yeah. they're kind of lucky. Yeah. 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 Because the Tellarites really aren't friendly. No, not at all. I like you. <laughs> you know, one thing that uh, I, I kind of had not a problem with, but I was like, huh, that's interesting that they decided to go this route. T'Pol kind of changes history along the lines of transparent aluminum when you think about it. I said to Paul, damn it, Tamir, damn it. <laughs> uh, at least I'm not alone now. Exactly. I'm not going to say the other one, though. You know, no, t- Tamir does change history. I mean, yeah. um, because we know, we know. <laughs> We know that that's not when Velcro was created. True. Velcro was created by a guy in New Hampshire. Was it really? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think he lived in Manchester. I had no idea about that. That's yeah, actually pretty, pretty fascinating. Pretty sure about that. Wow. Hmm. I uh, Wow, I learned something new today. Hmm. Um, I, I'm really kind of fascinated by it. Um, wow, yeah. In fact, it was interesting. The guy who created it, his name is George de Mestral. Oh my God! Are you serious? Yeah, that fact, has to be tied to this. It, it is. They, they actually named Mestral after okay. uh, the creator of Velcro, which I thought was was pretty awesome. That is cool. Um, and his <laughs> patent was granted in 1955, two years before Sputnik. So I, I, I don't really care about that because I don't think it takes away from the story. No, I think it's doesn't. interesting to note, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought it was good. And and it shows that even though she may not have wanted to, Tamir did become connected with the people in Carbon Creek because she went to Pittsburgh, I think it was, to yep. to give this patent people that Velcro and then gave all of that money to Maggie for her son for college. So she did have the connection, whether she wanted to admit it or not. Are you surprised she developed that connection? Because I am a little bit knowing how she tried to keep herself at more of a distance. And then once she discovered Mestral was lying to her, I'm surprised she didn't step further back. So did that surprise you at all? No, because I think we saw her changing a little bit when she would be talking to, was it Billy, the son? Um, And how surprised she was when he said he wasn't going to college. She was generally concerned about that. So I think that that connection between the people in the town had started to build before uh, she went and and got that money to give to him. And as we talked about, they thought that they were going to be stuck there. And we also know that this is a time where Vulcans still have that showing of emotion more than we're used to later on mm-hmm. in the Star Trek universe. So I, I was able to, to I, I was able to think that was convincing. The one thing I well at the beginning of the episode, you know, Trip essentially says, "Well, everything we've known is a lie." Because first contact didn't happen when it really happened. And I wanted to stand up and say to Trip, um, dude, um, Apollo <laughs> visited your planet thousands of years ago. <laughs> and uh, guess what, buddy? He was an alien. Um, in fact, aliens have been visiting Earth 
the whole time, man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so dial it back. I, I didn't have, you know, well, I, he didn't know about Apollo. No, <laughs> but <laughs> you would, I wonder, you know, if, uh, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, it makes me wonder if Chip, after this, said to himself, "Well, shoot, I wonder what other aliens have been to Earth." What do you Get think me- about that, Captain? Give <laughs> <laughs> me some pan fried catfish. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because as this episode was wrapping up and they're talking, you could kind of it kind of looked like Kapal was playing with them about whether or not this was a story or whether it was factual. And if not for that final 10 seconds of the episode, I would have thought she was pulling their leg, but it doesn't look like that's the case. It looked like first contact happened in 1957, my friend. So why do you think that she, she did that? You know, why do you think she left them with that doubt at the end? I don't know. Maybe, you know, she's been putting up with a lot of guff from Archer and, and, and others on the ship for a year. It's a one year anniversary. I think maybe she decided she was just going to have a little fun. She would never admit it, but you, you could, you could almost see the smirk on her face when she was getting ready to leave the mess hall or the dining room or whatever it is. Right. Um, and she was like, well, you did want me to tell you a story and she just kind of had that look in her eye and she left. And as she was leaving, she turned around and looked at him again and then walked away. And they're all like, what, what? <laughs> so it really, I, I thought it was well played by T'Pol. I, I do too. I mean, I, I'm glad that that last 10 seconds exists because if it had ended there, I would have been like, well, what gives? Exactly. But yeah. she goes back to her quarters. She takes out the purse. Um, here's a question for you. Is that sentimentality? Isn't that an emotion? Yes. yes, it is. I think it is. Um, I, I thought it was great. I, I It's kind of funny when when she had that thing in her hand covered, and when she was uncovering it, I half expected to see some kind of picture of Mestral later on in the future, sort of like Back to the Future 3 when they had the picture of them in the Old West. Yeah. And I was a little disappointed that it was the purse, but at the same time, that purse spoke volume. So even though I was a little disappointed it wasn't a picture of, of Mistral, I was also happy that it was the purse to show that it really did happen. So what do you think happened to Mistral? No idea. He invented you- Velcro. <laughs> well, no, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. He didn't. Yeah. Um, but do you think he ever left Earth? I, I'm going to say probably not. I think possibly he stayed in Copper Creek. Maybe he ended Where? up. Where? Ten bucks. I know. I said that on purpose. Um, uh, I, still I, ten bucks. I, I know. Um, I think that he might have eventually maybe married Maggie. He obviously had a connection with her and and had feelings for her. And that's what I'd like to think happened. And, but then, then at the same time, if he s- stays with someone – He's got to eventually tell him what's going on. And is that person going to freak out that they're with an alien in the 1950s or 1960s, probably by that time, whole lot of different things could happen. When UFO culture and alien culture is just starting. Yeah. Um, And how does that not, how does that news not spread like wildfire? Mm -hmm. And then how does Mistral go through the rest of his life with no injuries that reveal his his true identity? They talked about that when the Vulcans came to pick them up. Yeah. Um, they said that they cremated the bodies. So I'm like, okay, if he's going to grow old and die there, when he dies, you know, they're going to, you know, if he dies by, you know, non-natural causes or something, they might do an autopsy and they're going to find out that things just aren't right. Uh, he's got inner eyelids and and green blood and all this stuff. So, yeah, it, it opens up a lot of questions, but. I like to think that he stayed there for the rest of his life. What happens if uh, he lives to like 200 some odd years old and develops Bendai syndrome? You know, um, winds up like Sarek in, in the yeah. next generation. But it's illogical. Um, illogical. Yeah. Illogical. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've developed that same syndrome, Dan. I've had it for a long time. Uh, just uh, don't I know it. Um I, it brings up some interesting questions. I would have liked to have seen that explored more. Um, I, obviously, it never is an enterprise. 
Um, I doubt it is in, in any of the books, at least I don't, I'm not aware of it ever being explored no, beyond that. I'm aware of, yeah. Um, but I really think that would have been a story worth exploring. You know, uh, what happens to this Vulcan who decides to remain on earth potentially for the rest of his life? Yeah. Because there really are f- possible far reaching, you know, implications for humanity and, and future first contact, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. And the gentleman who plays him, J. Paul Bomer, I believe his name is, he looks awfully familiar. Has he been in other stuff that you're aware of in Star Trek? Um, Search that and check. I would have to look him up quite frankly. I know who he was. He was the... he was the Nazi commander in the killing game, which we just watched. He was the one who got Bolana pregnant. Oh yeah. Same yeah, guy. Right. I knew he looked yeah. familiar. Okay. Yeah. No, he's fantastic. He's also in a, in a DS nine episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's in the Voyager episode drone. Yes. He plays one. Uh, okay. Yep. yep. And he's, he's also in uh, enterprise again as a Nazi. Okay. A couple times. Wow. Yeah. That seems to be a thing for him. He's got the look. Yeah. Um, <laughs> great <laughs> okay yeah Moving no on. he does he does a fantastic job in this episode i um yeah I'll, i'm always gonna wonder what happened to mestral it yeah. makes me wonder if the vulcans in first contact happen to be coming back to look for him very interesting see you got you got good at, you should start writing this stuff down man yeah well you know i just thought of that off the top of my head it's pretty good um you know obviously they they witnessed first contact because they were in the area mm-hmm. what if they were in the area because uh, they were sent to look for him yeah you know 100 some odd years later that's a great that's a great story arc that that's going to make me think i'm going to start writing a novel tonight <laughs> <laughs> i i get i get a co-author credit nope I, it's my idea. I've got it now recorded. I don't, You've stolen uh, my idea. Uh, no. Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? You son of a bleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, do you have any uh, final thoughts on uh, on Carbon Creek? It's it's nice when you can sit down and watch an episode of Star Trek, and it's just fun. You don't have to really talk about, oh, is this Star Trek, or what are the and, – and I'm not I'm not picking on anybody when I say this. It just comes to mind. We're not talking about messages, morals, or meanings, or we're not talking about humanity or anything like that. It's just an episode that's fun and has kind of a cool way that we can look back on our own history, but through the eyes of a different race. I really just enjoy the episode. It's a lot of fun for me. I have to agree with you. I think the other thing I really enjoy about this is that, you know, I'm finding episodes of Star Trek I haven't necessarily seen before. Yeah. And it's like getting brand new Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really kind of like a little present, you know, as I'm watching some of these Voyager episodes and as, as we rewatch some of these other ones that I happen to have missed along the way. Um, it, it's like getting a little present from the past. Um you know, it, it, obviously, it's great to have Star Trek Discovery. It's great to have new Star Trek in my life, but it's great to have new Trek from familiar characters that I know about and that I understand. So that's really been kind of a treat for me. Um, it makes me, I, I, you know, I add to my list of things I have to rewatch, but I feel like now I have to do a whole rewatch of Enterprise just to make sure I've seen it all. Well, it, it's interesting that you say that because we've talked in the past about how Enterprise was cut short with only the four seasons. So it's never really gotten the respect I think it deserves. We talked about that with Deep Space Nine before. But Enterprise, I don't think, got the recognition that it deserves. And when you rewatch this series, it really is fantastic. And episodes like this really stand out. They have clunkers like every series does. Yep. But – I really can appreciate the stories that they were trying to tell. They were also trying to tell stories for the first time where retcon had to be introduced. And I think that they were able to do it in a way that worked. So I really, really have enjoyed rewatching episodes of enterprise lately because it brings me back to, you know, almost 20 years ago um, for one. And it's, it's just fun television. And, and I'm, I really enjoy episodes like this one that really don't make you think a lot, but really make you smile by the time the credits start rolling. Yeah. That's really what this episode is about. I mean, it's just about something to enjoy. You know, there's not a lot of deep thought to this, you know, it's not going to answer some question about humanity. It gives you an hour to consider or reconsider a piece of Star Trek history you think you knew. And I think that's really the most enjoyable aspect of this. If you haven't watched this episode in a while, or if you're like me and you just don't remember having seen it at all, 
really you should go watch it because it's it, it really is a treat. It's well acted, it's well written, it's insanely well produced, and it just visually is a is a feast with all this period work. So uh, I love it, and um, I'm probably gonna have to watch it again. So yeah, absolutely, rock on. Well, Dan, um, speaking of rock on, <laughs> we do love music and. Mm. We do love Five Year Mission. They are every last note of music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast. We are so grateful to them each and every week for letting us use their songs within the show to uh, to to add some add some character and add some texture. And uh, well, it means it's a little less you have to listen to Dan Davidson's boring and monotonous voice. We want everyone to head on out to FiveYearMission.net, download all their albums. Seriously, become a huge fan like Dan is like I am because we guarantee you're going to love their songs. These songs are not parody. It's not, they're not doing, you know, mockery of the original series. They're writing songs that make you think about these original Star Trek episodes in a brand new way, Dan. Yeah. I I love five year mission. I love their music. You know what else I love bill me? No, I love Nimbus three. I love the planet of galactic peace. It's a wonderful, wonderful ball of dirt located within the neutral zone. I don't know if you knew that or not. I'd heard. Yeah. You know, if you're assigned there, you know you did something wrong. Um, but I guess at the same time, you can sit at the local saloon, which is actually called the watering hole, and you can work on an alliance between the Federation with Ambassador St. Jean Talbot or the Klingons with General Cord or maybe even everyone's favorite Romulan ambassador. Oh, God. The one and only. Oh, God. Caitlin Fark. Yes. The planet of Galactus. Anyway. The planet of Denoblian peace. (laughs) (laughs) Dagner, Spock. Yes. Caitlin Fark. What a great ambassador. The Romulan ambassador to uh, Nimbus 3 was. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one didn't have a lot of effort. It's a, dude, none of them have ever had a lot of effort, <laughs> and it shows. Wow. In the immortal words of Captain James T. Kirk's shirt, go climb a rock. Okay. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Download all their albums, yo. Seriously, get on it. Get it done. Uh, of course, now, don't forget, you can support Trek Geeks and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. You can get access to our Carpool Conversations videos and other exclusive content. See the first of our annual supporters pins from our friends at Fansets, and you can check out the exclusive Podfleet t-shirt as, w- uh, as well as so many other perks, Dan. And that Podfleet t-shirt looks pretty stellar, my friend. It looks really good. Uh, we want to take a moment, of course, to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for your support. Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Harry Michelson, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Peter Craig, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Sardar, and Vikram Bhatt. And actually, I would like to say, Bill, um, Mr. Harry Michelson is no longer an associate producer of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh. Yeah, he is now a producer of the Trek Geeks podcast. Thank you very much, Harry. And uh, uh, we'll turn that list over to you, my friend. Harry's doing such a great job. He got promoted. Yes. He's doing a great, better than you. Uh, wow. Mm. Wow. Yep. Harry actually brings something to the table, unlike you, Dan. Uh, of course, we want to thank all of our amazing producers for Trek Geeks. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Landall Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Norman Lau, Patrick Escudero, Sean Halloran, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. If you'd like to become a producer on the network, or even get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks. And the best part is, is you can subscribe for as little as $1 or $2 a month and still get access to all of this content. That's yeah. fantastic. Awesome. Dan, next week we have a special discussion that you and I are really excited to talk about. And honestly, it's about time. It, it definitely is about time, man. Uh, next week we're going to dedicate the entire episode to all of those people in Star Trek that have been such an integral part of the franchise's success. From the very beginning with Majel Barrett's number one, all the way up to Michael Burnham on Star Trek Discovery, there are countless characters that have made Star Trek what it is today. So next week, it is all about the women 
of Star Trek. And in addition to that discussion, we're going to have a very special announcement related to that very topic. It's an episode you're not going to want to miss next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. It's going to be a great discussion. We're going to focus primarily on the women in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And later this year, we're going to do a uh, uh, an examination of people behind the camera, the people nice. who uh, who made Star Trek, which I think is going to be pretty fascinating. But uh, that's the women of Star Trek next week here on Trek Geeks. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions. They are found online at the tricordertransmissions.com. So many podcasts. I mean, yeah. The, if if you have an interest in in something, odds are they have a podcast for it. Whether and they probably sound better than you and me. Uh, without a doubt, right? I know, yeah. Whether it's Polytrex or, or Trek Ranks or Trek Profiles or Queer Trek or Sober Trek or you name it, they have a podcast for just about every Star Trek fan. So that's the TricorderTransmissions.com. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at Trek News. For now, this has been episode 171 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. I said coconut is the one for me. Coconut is the one for you. Coconut for you. Coconut for me. (laughs) What what the hell was that from? We were talking about, I saw Michael Jackson during the bad tour, so I just wanted to throw a little something in there. (laughs) 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 Shamal. Tito, get me a tissue. <laughs> Jermaine, stop teasing. <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producer, Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Oh, do that again. I don't think I can. I think that was a one in a million shot. It was like an opera singer. That was mellifluous. Bing bong. That was that was good. Thank you. Thank you. How good. are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, we coughing were... a little bit still, but no. So <coughs> we were just talking, um, uh, and you revealed to me that you might screw up the name of this episode. No, I will not because now there's a price tag on it. So well, but let, let's on. back up. Let's back up and level. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, this we're we're talking about the Enterprise episode Carbon Creek tonight, and I said to you that um, I wonder how many times I'm going to say Copper Creek because that's the new Disney Vacation Club down at the Wilderness Lodge, which we have been to. And yeah, I'm going to not going to screw it up though. Not now <laughs> because you said ten bucks for every time I said it. <laughs> <laughs> every time you screw it up, I get ten bucks. Well, screw it up by Copper Creek or just screw it up? Um, every time you call it the Disney name, all right. I get 10 bucks. Because I also said carbon copy at one point. So, I mean, I'm just all over the place. Well, I figured you were just... Remember those, remember those pieces of carbon that were inside the credit card slips back in the day? Carbon paper? Yeah. Yep. Why don't you bring that up? Oh, thanks. That's, that's, <laughs> that was for McGonagall. That, that's coming on the, the credit card processing podcast coming in 2025. Your hands got all black. <laughs> when they went to the carbonless charge slips, that was that was really a, a game changer. I didn't even know. Oh, shut up. All right. Anyway. <laughs> so 10 bucks. So yep. if people randomly heard me say, oh, 10 bucks during the podcast, that's why. Yes. I've written Carbon Creek in like 187 font across my screen. <laughs> You're going to take a photo of that. You got to post it to Twitter after the episode drops. Okay. That's hilarious. Uh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> so what else is happening there, Pally Pal? Um, uh, life is uh, life is good. I, I got no, did tomorrow, as, as we record this, marks the first day of spring. Uh, that is so good. I've um, made it through my last New Hampshire winter. Did you make it through the rain? Uh, wow, little Barry Manilow there. Very I, I, nice. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, very, I, thought, very I thought you might nice. like that. Yeah, I um, I used to refer to him in the '80s as barely man enough. Oh, and I feel bad about that now because Barry Manilow is one hell of an entertainer. Yeah. I've seen him live. 
I've seen him live. Um, he's fantastic. I, that's nothing to be ashamed of. I, I see him live. I'm not ashamed either. In fact, you know, he, it's funny because he, he knows what he's about, right? So he's getting ready to do, you know, some love song or whatever. I think it was Mandy or something. And he goes, guys, I have to tip my hat to you tonight. We all know that this probably isn't where you want to be. <laughs> wow. He says, but trust me, it's going to work out for you. And then he <laughs> winks and you can see it on the Jumbotron. He's like, do you get my meaning? Wow. That's a riot. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. He's, he just, he puts on a heck of a show. I got to say, um, I, I'm not ashamed to say that I saw him, uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire about 15 years ago. It was fantastic. Cool. I like that. What's, uh, <laughs> what's the, the most surprising artist you've seen in concert? I have not seen a lot of a lot of people in concert, but you know, I, of course I saw, I saw Michael in concert. Oh, did you really? Uh, I saw the when he was on the Bad Tour, and that was absolutely fantastic. Um, I have seen U two. Um, here's here's the weird one. I saw Expose, the the girl band from the eighties. What the at at the Lowell Auditorium. The Lowell Memorial Auditorium. Yes. Oh, my word. Yeah, I went with my good friend Jen to that one way back in the day. Willingly, or did she yeah. have dirt on you? Oh, yeah. oh no, no. Well, so back in the oh, dude, you know what I listen to. I, that's gonna... true. You you do have the musical taste of a teenage girl from 1985. And think of me in 1985. Yeah. <laughs> did you have hair then? I did. Yeah, it was one, and I had it, and it like was the big one wave. Whoosh. I looked like I looked like Grant Putnam from General Hospital. Who? Grant Putnam. Never heard of her. Well, him, Grant. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Um, and the one, I this one is, oh boy, this was bad. A whole bunch of us went and saw Whitney Houston on the Boston Common way back. And I'll never remember it because it was hysterical. She's doing her hit songs and everybody's like, yeah, yeah. And then at one point she goes, okay, I'd like to break into one of my favorite gospel songs. And like half the place got up to go to the bathroom or go get food or something like oh. that. And there was this one gentleman in front of us and he had this green jacket on and he was like yelling at her all night. He was screaming at one point. He said, I, she, she goes, I see you out there, honey. And he was like, Wah! <laughs> so kind of like you at a Michael Jackson concert. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, wow. I'm amazed that you've seen Whitney. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That was way, way back before all of the problems with Bobby and her downfall. I still want to go back to expose here. Um, <laughs> can you name an expose song? Right now, you know, I've been trying to think of one so I could start singing it, but uh, I can't at the top of my head right now because we got all these other songs. Well, and you can't because of Spotify. But well, I would, I wouldn't sing it. I would, I would, I would say it without singing it. So here's what I want people to do: <laughs> find a photo of Dan online and Photoshop hair onto his head, and let's see how creative you get. Post it to Twitter or Facebook or in Camp Kittimer and um, and let's see. And if he could be wearing an Expose Tour T-shirt, that would be even better. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm up for that. All right. I'd like to see what people do. <laughs> Speaking of that, are you ready to do this? I think I am. Yeah, I think so. Well, then uh, make it so there, Copper Creek. All right. I, I, hey, 10 bucks. No, no, I don't have to pay you. I'm going to get it right. Oh, all right. 